What you just heard was from an MPE named Michelle. It was Christmas 1974. She had just turned four years old. And this tape was given to her by her mom. You know, when moms get tired of storing all the items that belong to a grown child, and they call you up and say, hey, come get this box, or I'm throwing it away. Well, in Michelle's box, she found a tape called Christmas 1974. And she doesn't even remember the day. She was too young. It was just an ordinary Christmas in Arizona. Heard here with bad audio that only a handheld 1970s tape recorder can provide. But what makes this tape so remarkable is that Michelle's parents got someone to dress up like Santa Claus and come to the house to deliver presents. Which isn't remarkable in itself, but it just wasn't anyone playing Santa Claus. When Michelle played this tape for the first time as an adult, after she found it in that box, she realized the guy playing Santa at her parents' house was her bio father, Lyle. Today on Missing Pieces, episode 12, Finding Bio Dad, Old Recordings. I'm your host, Don Anderson. And on today's show, we're going to have two segments. Yes, two segments. I know that my show is a thinly veiled <laughs> attempt to be like This American Life. But you have to understand, This American Life is one of my favorite things in the world. The first segment, we'll hear Michelle tell a little of her story and how much this tape means to her. And if we're lucky, the guy playing Santa might just make an appearance. And segment two is about me and my bio father. The only video or audio I have of him, a man I never got to meet, is a video of him in a melodrama play. Did I tell you guys I produced a feature-length documentary? I did with my wife, Lisa. We edited it as well. But if you want to support me and you like movies, check it out. It's called Brothers in Arms. And it's about the making of the film Platoon from the point of view of the actors. We interviewed Johnny Depp, Willem Dafoe, Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, and many more. Platoon was a brutal film, and making Platoon was brutal as well. You can watch our film on Amazon Prime with ads for free, or you can click on more viewing options to rent it for a few bucks. Or if you Google Brothers in Arms movie Johnny Depp, choices will appear where you can watch. Note, there are a few movies called Brothers in Arms, but if you include Johnny Depp in the search, you should be able to find it. Note, if you hear pounding in the background, it's because there's still construction going on at my house, and I am just going to power through it. And like I said last week, know that you guys love me anyway. Segment 1, Christmas, 1974. The interesting thing about this tape, well, besides it's a noisy family Christmas morning complete with Christmas music and barking dogs, is that when Santa comes to the door and starts handing out presents, little Michelle, who just turned four, figures out who he is. She totally busts him. She already knew him that well. He was in her life. Have there been any good kids here? Oh, 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 oh. Let's see if we don't have something here. Let me just see now. Did you get my letter? Did you get the letter I wrote to you? Oh, boy, Santa Ana. 
Jerry? I had known him, you know, my whole life. You know, it wasn't like a complete stranger that came in dressed like Santa Claus. It was somebody that I'd probably seen that Saturday. <laughs> Michelle Strother. I, um, I live in Alabama, just a little south of Birmingham. I've been here for 20-something years. I was born and raised in Arizona. My ex-husband was military. That's how we ended up in Alabama. I never, ever questioned um, my dad being my dad. Um, growing up, my parents did have a rocky marriage. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Um, I remember him taking me places and doing things when I was small. And turns out one of those places was my real dad's house only of course I didn't know that I don't know whether he knew it or not um they were friends grow um while I was growing up they used to play poker together um and when my parents got divorced when I was 14 15 ish and uh, my mom had moved out. I was living at the house because my dad was in the big house. So I was living there and he told me one day that he did not want me to be there anymore. Um, and so I called my mom and she came rolling in with the mama bear and told me to go to the car. He, they, argued um i saw that it was getting it was escalating so i got out of the car and i came and by this time they were in the front yard and he's calling her all the names in the book um and he said and while you're at it why don't you tell her who her real father is lyle painter and that's how i found out um wow yeah yeah. Um, up until that point, I never had any doubts. Like, even though I probably should have, I was a kid. They tell you, those are your parents, those are your parents. Um, what do you mean you the, should have? Well, because immediately after he told me, he said that, something in my brain just clicked and it was like oh you don't look anything like either one of these people <laughs> um he was almost like kind of dark skinned um maybe um some hispanic you know just some kind of he, he was darker brown he had very dark hair he had dark eyes um my mother has dark hair and green eyes. I was blonde hair, blue eyed baby. Uh, but it, I tanned very well. And so I always said, oh, well, I get that from my dad. 
you know, you're a kid, you don't question things. Um, and you just try, like somehow our brains try to make things make sense. And so I always just attributed little things like, you know, the fact that I tanned well to that. So in that moment when you were 15, did you think for the rest of your life, okay, that's true, obviously it's true, or did you hear it and then question it and go back and later in life figure it out? Okay, so um, no, from the minute he told me I believed it, I asked my mom, of course. Um, She didn't deny it. But she immediately told me that you're not allowed to tell anyone. So I spent the next 30 years keeping a secret that wasn't mine, feeling like I didn't belong and feeling cheated, just completely cheated. When I was about 45, so about six, seven years ago, Um, I found out that my biological father, his wife had passed away. Turns out she had passed away several years ago, but I didn't know that. I was friends on Facebook with all of my siblings, my half siblings, only they didn't know they were half siblings, but because we grew up in a small town and our parents were friends, we were, you know, by proxy friends. Um, so once I found out that she had passed away, I really, I really, really thought, okay, if you're ever going to do it, do it now. Like if if, this is your one chance. So is the significance of her passing away because she was married to him at the time of your conception? That's what, yes. Yeah. My parents were married, just not to each other. Okay. Um, sounds like a country song. Wait, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not, it should be. Um, yeah. So, um, and that was part of the reason that I was sworn to secrecy is because it would ruin his marriage. Um, which, of course, as a child made me feel like, okay, well, everybody else is more important than me. I, I think everybody always deep down some part of them knew, including um my bio dad's wife because there's stories about that like i heard some things later that proves she knew too everybody knew just no one ever said a word um but they used to go hunting together they um they came to our house and played poker um you know he played santa claus for me they um Pat would take me to Lyle's house sometimes on the weekends. Lyle had chickens and outdoor things. Um, and I played, um, they had a above ground pool and Eric and I would go swimming. Uh, we did all like when I was real small, I don't remember him being around much when I got a little older. Um, maybe they drifted away. Maybe, you know, they just couldn't hide it anymore. I don't know. Do you think that you look like his side of the family or something? Is that how people knew? And So, um, I definitely look more like them than I do look, look like my other siblings. Um, but his, like his wife, 
Um, my mom said that when, um, when she came to see me in the hospital, she looked at me and she said, oh, she's got that little dip in her chest, just like Lyle does. That's a random thing to say to somebody. Who said that? Baby, his wife. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, she knew. She had to have known. I think there must have been some, I, I'm speculating here, but it seems like there must have been some uncomfortable moments. Maybe some eyes, you know, like somebody saw that her, those two were friendlier than maybe they should be. Mm. So, and then, you know, here she'd been with Pat for all these years. There's seven years difference between me and my other siblings. Now, none of them are his either. Different story. Um, they weren't married then. They weren't married then. The the ones I grew up with. Sorry. Yes. So my mom's siblings. I actually have six siblings now. I have three on my mom's side, three on my dad's side. So I was coming to visit. You know, they uh, many of them all still live in Arizona. And I was coming to visit in Arizona. And I had posted on Facebook and my half sister, well, they're all halves, but my my sister Laura, my dad's daughter, um, had seen it, and she's like, you know what, we should get together. And turns out she had strong suspicions and almost knew that I was her sister. Um, and so she, we we got together. I finally broke down and told her. She was so kind and so sweet and so excited. And she got on the phone and she called um, my biological father and told him. And he immediately, like she said, he, you could hear a sigh of relief in his voice. Um, because he was so glad that it was, you know, it was out, it was over and he could finally talk about it. And, um, he, he called me and, um, we talked and I have to give you one little, one little brief story. So Pat, the one that I thought was my dad, he, um, after he had done that to me, of course, I was bitter and angry. And strangely enough, I wasn't angry at my mom at all. Um, I went through a few, a, a little bit, but I was really angry at him because in order to hurt her, he crushed me. Um, and he was already not a great dad anyway. So I did my best for a little while to try and patch a relationship with him. And I had called him one day and I said, could you just meet me at Denny's? Or I asked him, are you busy that day? And he said, um, he said, no, not at all. If you want to come over, come on. And I said, well, no, I really want you to meet me somewhere so we can talk just the two of us. Oh, I can't do that. I'm, I, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I was like, I'm not asking for your whole day. I just need you to meet me for a cup of coffee so we can just talk. I just, I just need to talk. Wouldn't do it. He, he couldn't make that most basic of 
step to help me or to heal with me, have a relationship with me. And so I just let it go. And eventually I cut him completely out of my life. So fast forward, the first phone call with my biological father. And uh, he said, would you be willing to come out to the house and talk to me? And I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. He said, but if you're not comfortable with that, you tell me where to meet you, what time, and I'll be there anywhere you want to go. And I busted out crying. (laughs) Because it was like, that's all I ever wanted. All I ever wanted was somebody who was willing to meet me halfway. And in that instant, the healing started. And from that moment on, he has been the most healing force in my life. And I am a kinder, nicer, happier, more whole human being for having given given up the resentments and just allowed him to love me. Now having this tape um, and listening to it, how does it make you feel? Oh, I'm so thankful. Like I'm so I I almost so when I found out that he was my biological father, I I like you know you go through all the emotions, the feelings, and the thoughts, and um. I immediately started reminding, telling myself all the good stuff so that I wouldn't be angry or upset. And that was one of the good things. That was one of the things that to me showed that he really did care, even if he couldn't say anything or didn't say anything, that he wanted to be a part of my life, that he showed up, that he, um, he was there. You know, even even in, you know, in the, the background, but he was there. Um, and so him playing Santa Claus for me showed that he was, you know, trying even in a little way. I always fantasized about what it would be like to have him for a dad or to have a dad who cared. And that gave me kind of a little window into it. It gave me material for my fantasy of, you know, having a dad and filling that void. It was something to to hold on to. And I asked Michelle to talk to Lyle about this on a recent visit. It's recorded on an iPhone, so the quality isn't that great, but here it is. Santa Claus for me when I was little. Um, I was told to ask you... If when you played Santa Claus at the time, did you know for sure or did you have suspicion that I was actually your daughter? No, I uh, certainly didn't know for sure. And uh, probably was torn between hoping you were. Yeah. And uh, afraid that you were because... I was afraid of what life might be like for you and for your mother, you know. Just uh, felt like uh, she was in a 
bad situation. So how do you feel now? Well, I'm glad that finally we're together. That's the main thing. It was was absolutely the perfect time. I was torn for some time. How do I do this? And, you know, there was times I worried that maybe I shouldn't get in touch with you because you might hate me. I just didn't know. So it was a relief, and uh, the last few years have been so good. Absolutely. I think it's been very healing for both of us. So it's pretty amazing. It really is. Um, If you've got time, I've got a story I want to tell you. It has nothing to do with the Christmas thing, but it gives you the kind of idea. The man that raised these children. My first birthday after I... um, all of this came out. Laura, my my dad's only first daughter. I almost said only daughter, first daughter. Um, and she sent me for 45 days before my birthday. She sent me a happy first birthday. She told me where she was at the time and what was happening. Happy second birthday, the next day, and on to, and then she, when it got to, like, whatever year she was married, she, then she started signing the cards um, from Laura and Mike. Then the next, you know, when Amber was born, then she signed them from Laura, Mike, and Amber. And every one of them, she told me where, where they were, what was happening at that time for 45 days to catch up on all the birthday cards she didn't get to send me my whole life. Wow. Is that not amazing? That's so thoughtful and just... Incredible, wow. I know. It's just incredible is the only way to describe it, yeah. It it, it really is. It, and she just... Yes. They get it from him because he is... Uh, when I tell you, my okay, so my mother's mother died during childbirth. Um, she has attachment issues. She passed those on to me um, and to all of us. Um, so when I tell you that my dad is the first person in my entire life to hug me and tell me they loved me and I felt it to my soul it the most healing thing that has ever happened to me I wouldn't trade you know I I could be I could be bitter and angry I could be sad you know I could be upset that he let me go 45 years or I could cherish every single minute I have with him because it's been transformative, just absolutely transformative. And, And I'm, because of it, I have more to give other people.
Thanks, Michelle and Lyle, for sharing. I'm glad you are in each other's lives. Segment two is Melodrama, Biodad. In 2006, my bio dad was in a play. It was a small town melodrama that they do every year in this expat community down in San Carlos, Mexico. He died in 2010 from his alcoholism, long before I ever met him. And what makes this play so special um, is someone recorded it, someone out in the audience. So it's horrible sound. I'm sorry, it's horrible sound. Um, but it has video. And it's not good video. It's kind of not even front and center, but good enough where I can see him. Because this video is the only video reference I have of my bio father. Nothing else. This is the only one that exists. I mean, there's pictures and stuff, but there's nothing like the movement and talking and hearing his voice of video. There's just no comparison. And what's really interesting is, you know, I have no memories of him of my own. Like, I never met him, obviously. So I have no childhood memories, no any memories. So this one video is my memory. When I think of him, this is how I think of him. What makes it interesting, it's not even him, right? He's playing a character the whole time. So it's not even him. Let me tell you a little backstory about what I know about my bio father. He came from a hard background. His family was were migrant farmers. Dad was a horrible alcoholic, um, very abusive, abused his mom. Anyway, the dad left the mom, and the mom had to struggle on her own for a long time. And then she finally married somebody that had a little money, but he didn't treat my bio father very well. So. Uh, he kind of went in the Air Force to escape it all. And and then he, you know, became a cop. He was an Arizona state trooper. I don't think they call it that there. But he um, he became a rancher. <laughs> you know, his second wife owned, her parents owned a ranch, her family owned a ranch in New Mexico. And they died. And he went and just took over and became a rancher. And then he moved down to San Carlos, Mexico, you know, was an avid deep sea fisherman, had um, a real estate company. So, and I think furthermore, he was a product of his time. You know, he was born in the 40s, um, grew up in Texas in the Southwest. And, and you know, I hear he was, you know, he was not very PC, let's just put it that way. But here's the thing, his character that he played isn't him, right? It's not him at all. His character that he plays is this over the top, very un-PC, very offensive by today's standards, swishy gay character. Uh, he wears makeup. He's got blush on and he's wearing mascara. He has lipstick on. He comes out and he has like this green or this gray suit with like a green cummerbund and green tie and, 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 He's wearing a bowler, a hat. <laughs> it's too small for him on purpose. And it has a band on it that's very sparkly. 
this is the only <laughs> version I know of my bio dad. And I'm sure he would hate it, that this is the memory I have of him. When I think of him, when I think of his voice, this is what I think of. When I think of his movement, this is how I think of. And he saunters across the stage. It's just unbelievable in terms of how different he was than this memory I have of him. So the scene that I've been playing is uh, his first scene when he comes out on stage. And just to set it up a little bit, the right before he comes out, the, there was a woman in a bridal gown singing a song. And so, you know, the audience applauds and then it, for her and then it dies down. And then all of a sudden, it just they just erupt in laughter, the audience, and cheers. And why? <laughs> it's just because he walked out on the stage. And he just, the audience loves him. He has them in the palm of his hands from the minute he comes on stage, and he loves it. You can see he interacts with the audience, which you shouldn't do when you're an actor on stage. He gives them looks. <laughs> he um, jeers at them. And even in this opening scene, he comes out, saunters over with his hands up in the air. They cheer and laugh, and he look, gives them a look as if to shut them up, right? But not really. And, and then <laughs> he calls them bigots. I'll play it for you here. You can barely make it out, but he's calling them bigots for laughing at him. And I have to say, the other characters on the stage, which are two at this point, aren't happy that he's breaking character, breaking that fourth wall. (laughs) But he doesn't care. He exists only for the laughs. And I am told he was a very, very funny man. So here he is walking out on stage, and he looks at the audience because they're laughing, and then he puts his hands on his hips... (laughs) And this is where he calls them a bigot. I'm so tired. I've been bouncing around for two months. Just ever so tired. Again, sorry for the bad audio, and it doesn't help at all that whoever was recording it, somebody sat right next to them who had a terrible cold, so there's coughing all through it. So what happens next is he turns to the bride and says a line to her. And I'm sure the line is was written as, oh, you look fetching, right? <laughs> like a compliment to her. But he doesn't say it like that. He says it to the audience. He says, you look ever so. And then he looks at the audience, makes a little face, and says fetching. You'll hear it the way he says it here. Well, Angelique, my darling. Oh, you look ever so <laughs> Are you okay, my dear? Lord Albert, I need you to explain everything to me. Not just about the results of your trip, but why Daddy Ben left all these instructions in his will. I think this is a good idea. Angel should know about her daddy. So, if you didn't catch that, this play, this melodrama, the only visual reference I have of my dad, my bio dad. The play is about an NPE. (laughs) Like, what are the freaking odds of that happening? In this case, the NPE doesn't know who her mother is. And the whole play is about her and really the whole town trying to find out who her real mother is. And in this next scene, the bartender kind of explains it a little bit better. Um, The bartender is the third person on stage with them. But um, I have to say, when she asked the question, uh, how does my father not know who my mother is? 
my bio dad, once again, gives a look to the audience <laughs> and raises his eyebrows as if to say, because your dad screwed everybody in town or whatever. <laughs> and the audience laughs. So once again, he's getting laughs where no laughs were meant to be gotten. And I think in doing so, he brings a lot of energy to the play, doing everything you're not supposed to do as an actor. But he gets away with it. How could my daddy not know who my mama was? <laughs> After Lena left, Ben had three different girlfriends. None of them ever admitted to being in a family way. However, one of them had a baby. And it was you, my dear. You must be the child of one of them. So then my bio dad gets up from the table and delivers a line and somebody in the audience laughs. And then he says to the audience, that's not funny. <laughs> Which brings me to my news. I have found all three of them and they agreed to come here and help us with our problem. <laughs> That's not funny. Nancy Bill promised each one of them $100 for coming. Now, all you have to do is pick out which one is your mom. Again, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but he's just on stage to get laughs. <laughs> That's all he cares about. For example, as if we needed another example, in this scene as this scene goes along he sits down at the table with the bride to tell her some more about her dad and the situation and he asks for a drink the bartender brings him a drink and he says the word thanks in a very effeminate voice the audience laughs he gives them a look for laughing and then they laugh more sit down i'll help in any way i can yes can i have something cold to drink please thanks <laughs> Angel, I knew your dad for many years. He married very young to a beautiful young girl named So, just to say, the line in the script was thanks. It was not a funny line. It was just a bartender hands you a drink and your character says thanks. But he made it hilarious with the way he said it and the look he gives to the audience. And the audience adored him. So I have to say, as someone who thinks I'm somewhat funny, but it's a trait I really admire in others, seeing this, seeing Bob Blair up on the stage, it just makes me so proud to be his son. So I find myself watching this video over and over again. I'm just trying to catch a glimpse of who he is. See what makes his heart beat. Like what he lives for. And it works. I do see little glimpses here and there, even though he's in character. But if I'm honest, what I'm really doing when I'm watching this over and over is I'm looking for me. I'm trying to see myself and him. The way he walks, the way he sits, his posture when he's standing, his movement, the way he talks, the inflection, the way he holds his head, the way he looks at people, the amount of eye contact he gives them. All of these things I'm looking for. I'm seeing if I am him. Because still, this world of being an MPE, it's just still hard for me to grasp that. This is my dad. This is who I come from. This is my blood. And I find it's working. 
I do see myself in him. My posture, the way he holds his elbows on the table, our legs to torso ratios the same, the quick looks we give folks out of the side of our eyes, the way we stand, our hairline, and in the unbearable need to make others laugh, in the sheer joy when we do. So it's working. This one little bit of video I have, the only thing I have, it's working. And I'm so happy I have it. Thanks everyone for joining us on Missing Pieces and PE Live. And I know I've been teasing about the song coming up, a song from our very own MPE, Corey Goodrich. It was going to be part of this episode, but it's so good, it deserves its own. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it when it comes out. Soon, I swear, I promise. If you want to contact me, you can do it on Instagram at npe underscore live underscore podcast. The music on today's episode was provided by Billy Sullivan of Sully Stone Music. And please, please, please rate and leave a review. Especially you five-star reviewers out there, I appreciate it so much. Missing Pieces was written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Don Anderson. A special thanks to my wife, Lisa, for her help in all of the above. See you next time on Missing Pieces, MPE Life. Thanks. Thanks.